It is never too early to start preparing to win millions of dollars in fantasy football this year. We're going to talk about how you can do that and so much more on today's episode of the Fantasy Football Fellas Podcast. Welcome in. I am Lucas Wenzel, and as always, I am joined by my esteemed colleagues, Cameron Lawrence and Tyler Plath. But today, we have a very special guest joining the show to help us discuss how you can dominate your best ball drafts over on Underdog Fantasy what better way to do that than actually bring in one of Underdog's employees, Hayden Winks, to join the show uh, and help us discuss that today. Hayden, thanks for taking some time to join the show today. Um, why don't you explain what you do over at Underdog and where the people can find you on social media? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, really excited to talk best ball. June 19th, we are allowed to talk fantasy sports, uh, especially fantasy football, that just because we're offering, what, $15 million in best ball mania, a whole bunch of other contests. So, yeah, we can actually get away with doing it. Um, my role at Underdog, I do a podcast with Josh Norris. We have a YouTube channel over there. I do a lot of writing, a lot of the best ball, like niche research, working with the data. Also, uh, you can hit me up on DM or on on my messages if uh, you want to talk about contest style, work with a little bit of the product team content. If you have anything uh, good to say, let me know. If you have anything bad to say, you can also let me know. I'm on Hayden Winks on Twitter. There is only good to say because, like you said, we can talk fantasy football on June 19th. There's no bad about that. Uh, you are living in a different universe if you think that's a bad thing. Uh, like I said, we will be discussing uh, the different tips and tricks to dominate best ball drafts over on Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania 4 is live. $15 million up for prizes. That was not a joke. Uh, we're going to give you some of the best strategies on how you can get your share of that. Uh, and we'll discuss some of the best values at ADP that you can pick up along the way as well uh but let's get into it i won't waste any more time we want to hear from hayden uh and you want to figure out how to dominate those leaks so let's get into it all so we're going to take the next 20 minutes here I'm just going to let Hayden cook. I'm going to throw him some, some softballs here, and he's just going to knock him out of the park. Uh, but it's going to be such valuable information because this is what's actually going to help you bring home a share of that $15 million. Uh, $3 million to first place, a million to second place. Um, that's for the entire season. There's even regular season prizes as well. So like, this is valuable, valuable information you're getting inside information on. Um, so Hayden, like, I, admittedly, I think we're going to start from the nuts and bolts because... Um, as a primarily TikTok-based audience, I can't tell you the amount of times that we have <laughs> that we have done um, posted mock drafts or not mock drafts, best ball drafts on there, and we pick Austin Eckler at like pick nine, and they're like, "No way, Eckler falls tonight." Um, but what we don't understand is that this is no normal redraft, no normal dynasty league. So every draft over on Underdog is a best ball draft. So at its core, what is a best ball fantasy football league. There is just the draft, which is the best part of drafting. It also allows us to do 150. There's people on underdog that are doing thousands of fantasy football drafts in uh, the off season. Previously, you would have to set your rosters every single week. You'd have to do waivers. You have to uh, deny all those shitty trade requests that you get this year in best ball. You can just draft the team and let it uh, forget. You don't have to set your lineups. We'll take your optimal lineup for you. It's 18 rounds, 12 people in each draft will be there's different types of best ball drafts, but the regular best ball mania draft, the kind of big thing I keep telling people is play for upside. A lot of the money is going to just the top percentage of teams, top first percentile teams. 
Don't play for average. Don't worry about the players that have a high bust rate. If you're not coming in first place, what are you exactly doing here? Only two of the top 12 teams after the first 14 uh, weeks of the season advanced to the playoff rounds and only the top 1.5% of teams in the regular season actually get a bunch of money. So basically what I'm doing is I'm sorting through which players have a path to a lot of upside and I'm building my teams around that. And one kind of cheat code for that is to be stacking. At least if you stack the right team correctly, that's three or four draft picks where you're like, okay, last year I drafted a bunch of Eagles. Well, if Jalen Hurts breaks out. Now he's going to be elevating a bunch of his team members as well. So I'm just trying to think of how could I reach that upside and what is the easiest path to me actually getting some of these upside plays. That's what I love about best ball is it eliminates the weeks where I draft Christian Watson. He sits at my bench for the first eight weeks of the season doing Jack squat Yep, drops a first pass ever from Aaron Rodgers, And then he, you know, he's, he's irrelevant in that offense, but then all of a sudden is exploding for, for 20 plus point fantasy weeks, you know, four straight weeks in a row. Those are automatically getting inserted into your lineup. Um, follow-up question. I didn't include this on here. Are you, are you a believer in uh, replacing mock drafts with best ball drafts or redraft leagues? Yeah, there's no point anymore. We will offer <laughs> contests that are down to like, I, I believe a dollar. Uh, we have puppy drafts that are very popular for $5. Yeah. Best ball mania is $25. We go all the way up to $500 and even beyond that. So there's entry points for everybody. But really, when you're going through a mock draft or going through one of the mock draft simulators, they at once provided value. But those simulators, you're either drafting with players that are going to be drafting, what, the first three rounds and then Mm -hmm. drafting Tim Tebow before they leave. You're not really learning from that. On Underdog Fantasy, you're drafting against people that actually care, that actually invested. Our ADP updates every single day, and it's based off of only – Uh, people that are drafting teams with money so everything about this is super efficient Uh, everyone that's serious about fantasy football is on there so if you just do a couple one dollar drafts a couple five dollar drafts you're going to be well more prepared than you would be if you're just doing mock drafts or just doing some of these simulators the i think the the whole thing has really changed and plus for like five dollars you're actually going to be able to sweat a team for 17 weeks i'm not sure if anyone's mocking or uh, sweating their mock draft teams if they are uh, they should be imprisoned (laughs) <laughs> I, I was gonna, I'll leave it at that. that. That's a perfect way to sum that up. Um, I mentioned earlier in my first question, right, where we get people who are like, no way Austin Eckler falls to pick nine. Um, that's because wide receivers are, are going so, so insanely early uh, in best ball drafts. And, and I have like a few theories on why this might be. Um, all best ball teams are, are three wide receiver on underdog fantasy. They're all three wide receiver teams that you start in your lineup each and every week. Uh, but what, why, why are wide receivers going so much earlier? Uh, like you still get the, the Christian McCaffrey that's going, I believe his ADP is like the third or fourth overall pick right now on underdog. But after that, you know, Bijan's not going until right around pick seven or eight. Eckler's going tail into the first round. So why is it that these wide receivers are being so elevated above these stud running backs um, who have proven consistent year after year? Yeah, I think this has been like one of the two big things this offseason about how to kind of navigate fantasy football. I think a lot of people that are drafting today were big fans of like kind of these niche fantasy football websites like Rotoviz that are really deep in the analytics focused. A lot of it's coming from like full PPR uh, and redraft in wide receivers. One, I think people have a lot more fun kind of navigating which wide receivers are really good uh, and bad uh, versus running backs for some reason. I don't understand that, but. Um, I think the big thing for this year is a lot of the running backs that were being drafted around one and two the last couple years, like the last half decade, are now 27, 28, 29 years old. We see some of that age cliff, someone like Derrick Henry, who was a stud even last year, but all of a sudden a worse team 
definitely getting up there in age, lots of wear and tear. Someone like Zeke Elliott was a first round pick. He's kind of out of the picture. Dalvin Cook, same thing. Joe Mixon, a lot, a lot of these players are just a little bit older. And we're going to be trying to find the next wave of these elite RB1s, people like Ramondre Stevenson, Tony Pollard, who could easily be worthy of round one picks, but have never done it to that level. And now they're kind of sitting in like the, the round two, three uh, borderline. And I think that's been kind of the big difference this year. That's interesting to bring up like the historical aspect of it too, because one of my big theories was um, all of a sudden you're starting to see the guys like Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, all Jamar Chase was injured last year, bad example, but like Justin Jefferson, Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, like those guys are starting to play a full 17 games. It's almost like with any running back you, you draft, you're holding your breath for yep. the entire year that they may not play. Um, I assume that boils into it a little bit, but at the same time, yeah, like you said, you look at the historical aspect of it, like, uh, I broke down our, our top 12 running backs on our YouTube channel the other day. Like Derrick Henry, he's totaled like 1,250 yeah. touches over the last four years alone. And he only played eight games in 2021, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's a really valid point you bring up in terms of running backs starting to age out and a new wave coming in, but just being so unincredibly sure on how to value them outside of, you know, Bijan Robinson, who's the best prospect we've seen since Saquon Barkley, debatably. Um, as teams are drafting, though, so we know what a best ball league is. We know why wide receivers are going earlier, why ADPs might be a little bit different, but relatively similar to redraft as well. One of the things that I found most valuable is, is the strategy and how to actually fill out your roster. Like there's actually a strategy that goes in to the percent of teams moving on in, in best ball tournaments in terms of how they construct their roster, in terms of how many quarterbacks they bring on, how many wide receivers, how many running backs, et cetera. So um, these are deep drafts too. These are 18 round drafts on underdog. Um, what would you say is like the best way to, to construct a roster based on the weight of different positions people should be drafting? So it's 18 rounds. And like we said, there's no waivers. So you are sticking with these 18 players and that's it. Uh, there's no kickers. There's no defense. You're welcome for that guys. We don't have to grind any of those <laughs> positions anymore. Only the good positions, except we still have a tight end. Yeah. Uh, that's the other bonus I forgot to bring up. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, so in, in the 18 rounds, we'll just go by position quarterbacks. You're going to want either two or three of them. There's never been a season where you should only have one of them. It's never been profitable to have four of them for the most part. I like one elite quarterback and then one, pretty bad quarterback like example would be this year like lamar jackson and then like cj stroud a rookie that's kind of like the baseline if you want to wait and you get to like the geno smith Kirk cousins tier daniel jones then you're probably going to want three of them same thing with the tight end position two or three and it really just depends off if you drafted travis kelsey as your tight end (laughs) one or if you have i don't know gerald everett as your tight end one (laughs) then you're going to want three of them uh sometimes you can, can get away with four of them uh, there's a kind of a late round tight end strategy that I like. Um, so I'm usually drafting three pretty bad tight ends. We'll get to the reason why. And then for running backs and wide receivers, wide receivers, anywhere from like six to 10 wide receivers. And that really just depends how crazy you're getting with the wide receiver position early and also the ADPs. And then this year with the running backs, I would say anywhere between four to seven running backs. And it really just comes down to like this concept, diminishing returns. If you drafted a bunch of running backs early, you need to actually use their points. You need to assume that they're going to stay healthy because we are trying to play for first place. If you've drafted three good running backs, there's no point in carrying a sixth running back because if that sixth running back is in your starting lineup, something has gone very, very wrong. Um, so it just really just comes, if you drafted a bunch of this position early on, stop uh, waiting on it. But I think like a two, uh, five, seven, three build somewhere in that kind of range, two, six, seven, three range is kind of where I am drafting a lot of my teams. Yeah, and, and it's proven that 
<clears throat> at least at some of the analytics that I've seen that those like two, three quarterback builds are the most successful. But if you're it, the, the bulk of your team needs to be at, at the running back wide receiver position, that's kind of a no brainer. But like you yeah. said, the, those five running backs, seven wide receiver builds are typically what we see be most successful um, in, in best ball tournaments. Now, Let's talk about the actual best ball tournament because this is underdog's largest tournament ever. Is it correct me if I'm wrong? It is the largest best ball tournament ever in existence. Yes. So there are literally thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and entries into this contest. Your normal, I don't know, I'll just see whoever falls to me strategy probably isn't gonna work 99% of the time. Um so, Hayden, what are what are some of the strategies that you have found most helpful as you have been um, going through Best Ball Mania drafts that you have found most successful? Uh, we can kind of follow up on each one, but but what are some specific strategies that you have found most helpful to getting a leg up in these Best Ball Leagues? For the most part, I want to stay around ADP. If you're constantly drafting players ahead of ADP, there's other teams that are building very similar teams that are just getting better picks throughout that. So I'm usually staying around ADP, and I'm really just kind of focusing on roster construction, my own player takes, and then the stacking component. So with the roster construction, the baseline thing is what we talked about is like what your team looks like through 18 rounds. But as we all know, your 14, 15, 16, 17, 18th round picks, they don't add that much points to your roster. So I'm kind of looking at it like, all right, do I have enough running backs and wide receivers and quarterback upside through the first 10 rounds of my draft? And that's really what I'm focused on. The tight end position this year, just because it's half PPR, they don't score nearly as many points. Like compare half PPR quarterbacks to half PPR tight ends versus like full PPR, or like tight end premium tight ends. Tight ends just don't score enough points to like truly move the needle for me. So I'm kind of punting that position off. So like through the first 10 rounds, I just want to make sure I have a really solid foundation of running backs, wide receivers and quarterbacks. And to actually get the upside, especially in a weekly game, because best ball uh, after you reach um, the playoffs, you have to advance in week 15 as a tournament, week 16 is its own tournament. And then week 17 is its own tournament. So week, the upside matters and how you get week, the upside is to kind of hit that quarterback with your wide receiver. So I'm going out of my, out of my way to stack quarterbacks with the tight ends, quarterbacks with the wide receivers. And I don't think if you, if you are not doing that, I think that you are leaving some money on the table. I think that's basically a requirement to understand roster construction. Don't reach at ADP. And then you have to correlate your teams. And for the most part, I'm mostly focusing on quarterbacks and wide receivers and quarterbacks with their tight ends. So maybe this has corrected itself. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I've seen less and less teams. And this is just out in the Twitterverse where people are posting best ball leagues daily. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I feel like I have seen less and less stacking this year. Is that, is that true? Have you seen that as well? Or, or, or am I just like just getting weird crap all over my timeline? That, that isn't actually reflective of, of what you've seen. So I think that the stacking thing has gotten maybe a little bit more popular, but it was already really popular last year. What's happening this year is week 17 stacking is becoming more popular. And what that is basically since so much of the prize pool is going to the week 17 tournaments, people are trying to think like, okay, similar to like if you guys playing DFS, if I have a quarterback and a wide receiver on a team, they go off. Well, the other wide receiver on the other team is going to be trailing. Now, all of a sudden, that wide receiver is going to be getting a lot of targets. He's going to get more fantasy points. So that's what a week 17 stack is. So I'm seeing a lot more week 17 stacking, but there is a lot of team stacking out there. And that's what's going to make this a little bit kind of wonky is there are some teams, like I'll say the Chicago Bears, for example, the Jacksonville Jaguars, where a lot of these players don't make sense where they're being drafted. If you're only looking at their projections, for example, 
But since you've already drafted Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence, people are going to still draft Evan Ingram really high because they want to add on the team correlation there. So that's going to be a little bit different. If you can find a team that's like mid-priced, their quarterback's not going too high, all of a sudden like that team hits, now you're going to drag up a bunch of these players. So there's kind of this like ADP thing where the best teams are really priced up and some of the weaker teams are really priced down because I do think stacking has been uh, at least probably as popular as it was last year. But the new rankle this year is like week 17 kind of gone mainstream. Yeah. So, so that, that was, that was actually one of the questions in the doc I did want to ask, and I was going to wrap up with that, but uh, I, I want to come back and touch on some other points too, but because mm-hmm. we're, we're on the topic, um, how much weight do you actually put in that? Because I've seen a lot of people, like you said, I have seen that emphasized a lot more this year yet. I don't know if that's how I'm attacking every single one of my drafts. And I'm not saying that's how people who mm-hmm. use week 17 stacking are actually attacking their drafts, but how much, how much weight do you put into that versus like you mentioned earlier, like, just draft at ADP and we'll let, you know, we'll let the draft come to you. How, how much weight would you put into week 17 stacking? Well, the I've looked into this. There is bring back correlation, like the opposing team uh, there that does exist. Now it's much smaller than your actual team stack correlation because the touchdown, both players are getting the points, the, all the yardage, both players are getting the points, the bring back correlation. You're like getting like maybe 10% of a boost. Um, so at this point, a lot of the the bring back correlation has been evened out by just how unique the, that overlap is. So, like, if a, everyone's doing the bring back correlation, I'm only or drafting with the the correlation, and I'm only adding a little bit of it. A lot of it gets wiped out because you want some uniqueness with your teams as well. So, I have not been using it much this year. In fact, I don't even know all of the Week 17 matchups. A lot of the sharp <laughs> people really care about this, and I do think there is some reason to be bullish on that. It's just very low on my priority list. I just want to have good player projections, good player takes, draft them at good cost. I'm not reaching on these players, and then I'm really just focusing on the roster construction and stacking component. Because remember, the Week 17 correlation is not going to help you actually get out of your 12 team draft to actually get into the playoffs it's not going to help you advance in week 15 or week 16 either but uh the team stack correlation if i can just keep adding this team stack correlation that's going to help me in week 17 but also in week 16 15 and in the regular season as well yeah that that's the part i get stuck on with the week 17 stacking is i gotta get there first like <laughs> I, I gotta make sure i have pieces to actually get to week 17 in order for that to even pay off. So you've repeatedly brought up the, the, the team stacking, team stacking, team stacking, which is a hundred percent how I am attacking 90% of my best ball drafts. If I can correlate team stacks, I am very much looking forward to that. So what are some stacks that you're going after? Or maybe, maybe the, the simpler way of asking the question is what teams are you looking to stack? What offenses are you looking to stack? So for the most part, I'm trying to stack about three teams uh, each draft. I'll have an elite team. Then I'll probably have two kind of bad teams. I'm hoping that they can be like league average offenses. And the teams I've drafted the most, 72% of my teams have at least one charger. And then the next teams are the Texans, Browns, Bengals, Lions, 49ers, Rams, and Patriots. So there's some pretty bad teams on there, like the Texans and the Patriots are probably not going to be very good. Uh, then there's a lot of like kind of medium teams like the Browns, uh, the Lions, the 49ers, the Rams are kind of in the middle. 
And then the Bengals are obviously a good team. So you kind of just see, like, it's not just I'm only getting the, the best teams and calling it a day. You have to kind of correlate some of these teams. Like, for example, I'll draft a bunch of Chargers, and that's obviously the, the wide receivers, Eckler, Herbert, for the most part, throw on Gerald Everett late. And then the Texans, my second highest drafted team, none of them go early. So I'll have a lot of teams <laughs> with, like, the Chargers in the first 10 rounds of the draft. And then I'll go Dalton Schultz, Nico Collins, C.J. Stroud as my quarterback, too. If I'm really desperate – I'll go with like John Mechie at the last pick. Same thing with the Patriots. Throw on a bunch of these players really late in the drafts. Maybe you have Ramondre up top, but it's just kind of this, this kind of ebb and flow. And I know, all right, if I've drafted this player in the first two, three rounds, I know which quarterback I'm going to draft in round five, six, or seven. And then based on that, okay, I need another team to kind of kick on. And then the double digit rounds, I'm tacking on a bunch of them as well. Yeah, I do have a question off that. When you're stacking, a lot of times I think we just we just think of, you know, I get CeeDee Lamb, so I get Dak Prescott, and that's my yep. Cowboy stack. Are you looking for Tony Pollard then as well? And um, mm-hmm. who I don't even – who's their tight end right now? Why am I blanking Jake on – Ferguson for, maybe? For, He's like Ferguson. last right. round. Yeah. So, so you know, maybe not, maybe not a great example for tight end there. But are you looking for more than just one and one? Are you looking for more of a whole team? So this is a very nuanced question with a very nuanced answer. For the most part, yes. The running backs are going to be positively correlated with their quarterbacks or wide receivers, a little bit less so for tight end. But there is correlation. Like the perfect example would just be like last year with the Eagles. Miles Sanders mm-hmm. by himself, he's not like some breakaway player. He wasn't a top five running back last year. But since the Eagles were so dominant last year, Miles Sanders – pays off his ADP because there's just so much touchdown volume and in general in the second half of games, he's getting touches because they're blowing out teams. So Jalen hurts and miles Sanders have some uh, correlation. Now in a one week sample, just for like week 17, some of that gets diminished and you kind of want obviously some ceilings with your running backs and your wide receivers and all of that tied together. So yes, I am doing it, but a lot of it's just to kind of help me out over the course of the season. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make sure like in the one week samples, week 15, 16 and 17, I kind of get away from that. And each one of those positions have different like levels of correlation, but the simple answer is yes. All of them are positively correlated at least throughout the entire season. Uh, For sure. Nice of you to join the show, Cameron. Thanks for yeah, popping in. Uh, the answer to your question, Luke Shoemaker, rookie tight end, is uh, currently oh, on the roster as right. well. So you got him and, and Jake Ferguson would be the other accepted answer. I there. wanted to say Luke Musgrave, but I knew it was wrong, and so I couldn't convince myself <laughs> to try anything else. No, Musgrave. <laughs> but, yes, one of those rookie tight ends is on Dallas somewhere. Um, hey, let's wrap up. Uh, one more question I want to ask on. You talked about not reaching at ADP. When would you say it, it is appropriate to reach at ADP? Because you start getting to – to the end of underdog drafts. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, oh man, look who's fallen way past ADP, Donovan Peoples-Jones. I'm stoked about him. Um, So so when would you say it's appropriate to to start getting out of the, okay, he's within, you know, two, three spots Mm -hmm. of ADP. I should stick within this range. When would you think it's okay to actually um, start reaching, you know, 10, 15 spots down the board? So this would be like the best ball 300 level class is when you start (laughs) figuring out when to reach. And this gets really complicated really fast. So uh, sorry if I go full galaxy brain here. So you're good. That's what you're here for. (laughs) Okay, good, 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 good. Um, Yeah, I guess if you are tuning in to a fantasy football discussion 30 minutes into a podcast on June 19th, you actually do care about this. So let me get to the details. Uh, What happens is there's you're trying to build the best teams, but you're also there's a uniqueness angle. And for everyone that's playing DFS, it's not just drafted the best team with projected for the most points that week. You're also looking to see how many times 
uh, other people that you're playing against are drafting these players. Well, in best ball, most of these players are getting drafted 100% of the time. Like if you're the 33rd overall pick, I don't think you're making it to round 18. So it's hard to find like actual uniqueness angles. One way to do that is to kind of look at the ADPs and try to reach on players who are on the other side of the draft board. So like a perfect example would be I reach in round two and round one a little bit uh, more often than most people do. So if I have like the 11th or 12th overall pick, instead of just taking the player that's 10th overall in ADP and 13th overall in ADP, everyone else is doing that. So those two good players go off. It doesn't really separate me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to draft the player that's 17th in ADP and 18th in ADP because how do you get those two players? They're both in the middle of the second round. They're not being drafted together very often. So if I am right about those two players, well, now I have a big leg up on the field just because they're not being drafted together. So that's kind of like combinational uniqueness, combinational ownership. So in round two, I'm doing that. And then at the very end of my drafts, like round uh, 16, 17, 18, I'm scrolling down and I'm drafting players that do not get drafted very often. So if you on underdog, you see a player with an ADP uh, above 192, the 200 all the way to 216 overall, those players are only getting drafted 20% of the time. So could you make an argument that the player that's with 170th ADP is a better projection than the guy that's 200th? Yeah, a little bit, but the guy with 170th overall ADP, he's being drafted a hundred percent of the time. The player that's uh, that's at, uh, 200th overall is only being drafted 10% of the time. I would rather just take the worst projection by this much and add all of that uniqueness. So I'm drafting uh, or I'm drafting players ahead of ADP basically only for uniqueness purposes. And then on occasion, if I'm looking at the draft board and I hate the 10 players at the top of the queue and I really like the 11th player, I will reach on that. But I think a lot of people probably be doing that too much. So I will do it based off of player takes, but for a lot of it, I'm just kind of thinking through, how am I going to add some uniqueness to my team? Yeah, because yeah, at that point, that, that player sitting at the end of your lineup, anyways, the, the 178th player off the board, <laughs> likely is going to make an impact over when you have A.J. Brown and Terry McLaurin yep. and Christian Watson, just to throw out three names. Like, they're probably not cracking your starting lineup, so you may as well throw darts on, like you like you preached earlier, high upside players. You're not playing the, the safe floor of a – Donovan Peoples-Jones, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, last question before we transition to some values here. Some of the people you should actually be looking to target and sit on for ADP at, uh, on Underdog. What is like the number one thing you would say? Uh, you, we, we go all galaxy brain. Now I'm going to ask you to like shrink your brain down again. I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, what is like the number one thing you would say to a first-time best ball player? I would say start with some low entry drafts and just keep doing a bunch of them and you'll start getting a feel for the draft board. Like that's one thing that it's, you can do your rankings. You can upload somebody else's rankings, but you need to know like, okay, I really don't like the quarterback twos that are available for me. So I'm going to go out of my way to get some good quarterback ones or vice versa. Like I just do not like any of these wide receivers from like wide receiver 45 to wide receiver 60 just feels really gross. So I need to make sure that by the time those guys are on the clock, I've already drafted five or six wide receivers. So that's just something that like takes some feel. So if you have $50 to spend this entire summer, do a bunch of $1, $5 drafts. And then maybe by the end, you'll feel comfortable to do something at a higher price point. But I just think that there's a lot of kind of give and take that it's hard to wrap your hand around until you are sitting in there and, and doing some drafts. But for the most part, just if you're not reaching 
uh, at ADP and you are kind of staying with it in this like roster construction window that we went over, I think you'll be fine. Throw on some correlation when it makes sense. Um, and just really just kind of make a couple stances with a couple teams throughout your draft. And, uh, and I would also say draft as if you're right. Like don't keep hedging against yourself. Mm-hmm. If you drafted Travis Kelsey in, in round one, well, guess what? You're better hope that Travis Kelsey repeats last season. So don't draft Mark Andrews as well. Draft Travis Kelsey and then wait a while. Just keep kind of doing that throughout the draft. Scaring money, don't make money. That's Next. 100% true. Um, and the best part is if you have 50 bucks to to spend on best ball drafts this summer, Underdog will double that for you. Use a promo code FELLAS. Uh, they will double your first deposit up to $100. So that 50 will very quickly turn into 100 just like that. And you'll even get our draft guide for free on Top of it, hey, and thanks for breaking down some of the best strategies to use in, in best ball drafts, so specifically in best ball mania four to get your crack at $15 million. Uh, let's transition now, turn the corner to some of the players you should be targeting at their current ADPs. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Now, we love Underdog. It is the easiest place to play best ball formats, and they even have their own form of player props called Pick'em. You can make up to 20 times your money on a single night by correlating props together. Two picks will triple your money, three will six times it, four will ten times it, and five plays that all hit will multiply your entry by 20. You can even place insurance on your picks too, so if only four of your five props hit, you still get 10 times your entry. And if you use our code FELLAS when signing up, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100. Alrighty, we are back. You heard how to dominate your best ball drafts. Now you need to know which players to actually pick because even in best ball drafts, despite the ADPs being very different, there are players you can get out of value that will give you a leg up in those contests this year. So we've each picked out two of our favorite values. So you're going to get up to eight values in underdog drafts right now uh, that you can go out and target in your next draft. And hey, and I'll start with you. Um, who is your first favorite value in best ball drafts right now? So the player I will be drafting the most of, he's currently my third most drafted player, is David Montgomery. And I know a lot of people think you, David Montgomery. And I'm not necessarily saying that he's the best running back ever, but I will say that he does have a bell cow ceiling. And he's been used as a bell cow before. The Lions actually paid him like a bell cow. They gave gave him basically a two-year, $10 million deal to kind of replace Jamal Williams. They could have easily re-signed Jamal Williams, but they were looking for something more than that, last year's Lions were first in running back usage, how often they use their running backs. Uh, David Montgomery can kind of just do the Jamal Williams role from last year. Obviously, Jamal got really lucky with touchdowns, but he did finish as the running back eight. DeAndre Swift in this offense finished as the running back 21. Obviously, Jameer Gibbs is going to have a decent amount of uh, role himself, but Jameer Gibbs was a very kind of niche player back in college. Uh, he only had 10 carries with two or fewer yards to go at Alabama. He only had four carries inside the five-yard line. Uh, almost 75% of his carries came off tackle or to the complete outside of the offensive line. He never ran up the middle. He never used the uh, the gap system that the current Detroit Lions use. Uh, we've not seen him at the goal line. I've seen David Montgomery do that a bunch of times. So I think that <laughs> David Montgomery can kind of pay off this like running back 27 price tag, even if Jameer Gibbs is very good. Now, what happens if Jameer Gibbs is either really bad, probably unlikely, or just gets hurt because, you know, he's a smaller back and he's a rookie and he's never had a big bell cow profile. 
David Montgomery can play all three downs on the, the offense that had the most running back fantasy usage in the league last year. The offensive line is sweet. David Montgomery has already been a top 50 player uh, on, in previous seasons. I don't see why there's not a ceiling case. And this kind of goes back to the discussion of like, okay, everyone thinks that he's kind of garbage, so he's not going to be drafted high. So check. I think the projection is pretty good. And also, we're playing for first place. If Jameer Gibbs was out of the offense, let's say he has a hamstring tear uh, late in the season, David Montgomery will be ranking him as a top 10 running back. We'll yeah. be doing TikToks, but David Montgomery is the guy that you have to play in DFS. We can all play this game before we've seen it before. So he's going to be my highest drafted player. That's that's fascinating. You, you chose a player who, yeah, to the public, no upside whatsoever, but actually might have the sneakiest upside of them all. How would How would you say in correlation to like Jamal Williams last year, how similar, how different would they be? Because that that's what's thrown around with David mm-hmm. Montgomery is, is Jamal Williams of last year. Well, I think we all agree. He's not going to score 17 touchdowns and the lions aren't going to, you know, find a way to just have their knees collapse on the one yard line. And then, you know, mm-hmm. Jamal Williams is there to clean it up. So how similar, like compare and contrast those two roles as you see fit for David Montgomery this year. Yeah, so I don't think that the Lions coaching staff necessarily thought Jamal Williams could kind of be an every-down player. They would always sub him out on passing downs. Even when he was the lead guy when DeAndre Swift was out, he was kind of in a committee role. I think that they paid him more than what they were going to give Jamal Williams. We know that for a fact because they see him as somebody that can play on third downs with the two-minute drill plus eat up all the goal line stuff. So I think that's kind of the comparison. He will not score the same amount of touchdowns. He will not probably beat Jamal Williams' fantasy total last year, but he doesn't have to, like, Jamal Williams running back eight uh, right now. David Montgomery is the running back 27. Uh, so even if he's just DeAndre Swift from last year, and by the way, DeAndre Swift finished as the running back 21, the coaching staff hated him. You know, <laughs> that's what we're dealing with. And as with Jamal Williams eating up all this touchdown. So if, if we kind of consolidate this offense just to one of these guys, we're talking about someone like James Conner from a couple years ago was like the guy in this kind of range who, by the way, James Conner, nobody thinks he's very good, but the man scores so many fantasy points. Josh Jacobs last year in the same kind of, tier nobody thought he was good until all of a sudden he's getting all the usage david montgomery is obviously less likely to do that because of jameer gibbs but if one thing breaks his way we're looking at the same type of profile i you, you just spoke to my heart as a, as a deandre mm-hmm. swift stan who was pleading for him to get involved for years yeah no i i think david montgomery is is a sneaky one that that a lot of people would like you said at face value will say ew david montgomery yep. uh, but really again like you said one thing breaks right all of a sudden you're looking at top 10 guy probably the rest of the season. Uh, Cameron, I'll kick it over to you now. Um, your first player that you really like at ADP, not a running back. Um, well, unless you you surprise me here with who you're actually going to go with first, but uh, who, who's your first favorite player out of value uh, in underdog right now? I am going to go with the running back just because he goes one spot behind who Hayden was just talking about. It is James Conner. When I was trying to pick my players, it was between David Montgomery and James Conner. They're my second and third most drafted players right now. I and my problem is I like trying to take two running backs early because the running backs are falling so far, but then I get so far into these drafts and I see David Montgomery and James Conner there, and I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do now? I have, you know, I need wide receivers, but I want these two on my team, so it's a constant battle when I'm in these best ball drafts. But James Conner is going as the running back 28, um, 87th overall last year, 183 rush attempts, 700, 782 yards, seven touchdowns. 4.3 4.3 a carry, 58 targets, 46 receptions, 300 yards, and a tutty. That was in 13 games. I did realize I said he had 15.4 fantasy points per game, but that is PPR. Underdog is half PPR, so we got to take that into consideration when we're talking about it. Um, but he has averaged 16.3 fantasy points per game PPR over the last two years, which have been RB7 last year. Um, 
the thing, the knock on James Conner is going to be the same knock. Probably they're giving David Montgomery is he's had 26 touchdowns in 28 games, right? On this Arizona team, he's not going to almost average a touchdown a game. Arizona, just like Lucas said last year, is going to be garbage, right? Arizona right now is projected for the first and second overall pick next year. So there, there is not a lot of high hopes in Arizona. But if you take away his touchdowns from – if you take away half his touchdowns, so 13 touchdowns in 28 games, the dude is still averaging 13.5 fantasy points per game, obviously PPR, but that is the running back 13 to 20 range. And if you're taking him at the running back 28 – you know, finishing as the running back 17 is still a great value, right? You're just trying to outperform ADP. And if he falls in the end zone twice, it's a great game for James Conner. And, you know, it's something that's likely to happen. And for me, what makes him such a great value is I look at the guys ahead of him, Isaiah Pacheco, Rashad White, DeAndre Swift, Damian Pierce, Cam Akers. Those are guys that I don't love, right? We, We talk about Isaiah Pacheco, right? He's on a great offense, but, you know, he has Jarek McKinnon, CEH there, who are going to take that passing role. Even when he was great last year, he was only averaging about 12 fantasy points per game PPR. Rashad White, if we're talking about inefficiency in James Conner, I feel like Rashad White's just a little bit ahead of James Conner as far as inefficiency. Um, Swift is one of the biggest wild cards in fantasy right now. Just have, you know, we have have no idea what he's going to look like. Um, And then I won't go through all the rest of them. But the reason I like James Conner is he's just going to get so much usage. And I say this all the time. He's one of those guys that you never want to watch the game when it's happening. You just want to see the fantasy score at the end of it. It is going to be ugly. It is going to be gross. He'll end up with like seven receptions for 12 yards, you know, and then he'll have like 16 rushes for 50 yards and a touchdown. And that will be his line, but it will be good for fantasy. And it'll be something that you want to see as the running back 28. And the one thing you didn't even bring up was no Kyler Murray for who That's knows true. how. Yeah, long. yep. But that, but like the crazy thing is like James Conner almost like becomes a different animal without yes. <laughs> Kyler Murray in some ways. Even in PPR formats last year, 19 and a half fantasy points per game. Um, without Kyler Murray, you factor in the three games from 2021 as well. Granted, one of those was a 40 plus point game, but you know, in those nine games then that he's been without Kyler Murray in the last two years, 21 and a half fantasy points per game. Yep. He he's so unsexy, man. He's so <laughs> unsexy, but he will score fantasy points for you. And yeah, I cannot stop drafting him at the RB 28 that that seems like a steal of a value to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no one else there. That's the thing, right? If they bring in somebody then maybe we can have the discussion, but right now, you know, I, I don't think, Eno Benjamin's going to be stealing too many snaps from James Conner. So can't you know, they're the same player, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't care either way. Keontae Ingram. Oh, I literally had the, had his backup running backs down here somewhere. I know Keontae Ingram is the direct backup, yep. and, and mm, that's not someone. Right. Yeah. And they didn't use him at all. Even like yeah. when no. Connor was going crazy last year, they they had every opportunity to sprinkle him in when the season mm-hmm. was out of line. And I don't think they're going to bring in any of these running backs. They're, they're no. offloading contracts right now. There's no point yep. to bring him in. It's, I, I'm with you. I, I like dr- drafting James Connor as well. It's a very similar profile to the David Montgomery one. And yep. James Conner last year, like if you're looking at yards per carry, yards after contact, mm-hmm. his elusiveness rating, yards per run, all just in line with his career averages. Is he a phenomenal player? No, but is he aging? Uh, not really, at least as of last year. And I think he has the eighth highest cap hit at the running back position this year. They're only yeah. almost paying him $10 million, one of the highest on the entire team. And yeah, I just think it's just going to be an ugly refresh the box yep. score season from him. Um, but like one of the secret hints to underdog fantasy, if all if everyone thinks that these players suck in real life, just draft them. Like yeah. nobody's going <laughs> out of their way to draft David Montgomery and James Conner. But that means everyone's not drafting them. They're probably yep. going too far. Yep. There you go. That that that's your other tip. If you're a first time <laughs> drafter, if, if they if everyone says they suck, you should probably draft them at that point. <laughs> 
Uh, Ty, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. I'll let you uh, finally speak on this episode. We're 40, 40 minutes in. You haven't even said a word yet. Uh, welcome to the episode, Ty. Um, you can prove your existence now uh, by by making it three running backs in a row that that you love at their current value. No, I, I've enjoyed just sitting and listening, being the student here and just learning as we go because I feel like I'm just going to win $3 million by the end of this season. So um, my first my first best value right now is Josh Jacobs who's going as a running back 10 in the middle of the third round after being the league leader in rushing last year. That's not the only argument that I've got, but that's a pretty good one right off the bat. But, um, no, you look at his, you know, his stats from last year, 340 rushing attempts. He had 53 receptions on 64 targets for over 2000 total yards and 12 touchdowns. He was second in broken tackles. And of all running backs with 100 carries or more, he was second in yards after contact per attempt. He refuses to go down. He gets volume. And the biggest question mark for a lot of people last year was where does the receiving work come into play? That was me. Yeah, it was you. Um, (laughs) It didn't didn't change. and, And despite the coaching change that happened too, it didn't change. And actually, Josh Jacobs ran the fifth most routes of all running backs last year, which I thought was crazy. Like we talked like Austin Eckler's of the world. Nah, Josh Jacobs is right up there too. So you look at this year, look at the situation. I, the Raiders didn't really do a whole lot this offseason to really improve the offense. Like sure, they got an upgrade with Jacoby Myers over Mac Hollins, but it's not like a drastic upgrade and if anything they took a bit of a downgrade bringing in jimmy g and letting Derek carr go all that means to me is that this offense really is just going to be the same as we saw last year and if that's the case getting him in the middle of the third round is such a steal in my opinion that i you know will look to go receivers first two rounds or heck even because I'm drinking all the Kool-Aid of Tony Pollard this year. I will go wide receiver one, Tony Pollard in the second and Josh Jacobs in the third, if I can, and then not touching running backs at all for at least, at least six more rounds and just stocking up a wide receivers. But Josh Jacobs right now to me feels like he's going too late, but because of that, I will take all the shares that I can of him. Yeah. I love that entire tier. We'll just, just to hop in these, I like the the elite wide receivers. Yes, they are layup picks. You draft them. Justin Jefferson's, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, I think uh, even undervalued mm-hmm. right now. Start with them, then going any of these two. Like this whole tier to me, like yep. starting with Tony Pollard all the way down to Josh Jacobs and Brees Hall, all these running backs straight up project way more than the wide receiver going around them. And I think that at the beginning of the show, we're talking about what's going on with these wide receivers getting priced up. I don't necessarily understand why they're doing it. I can tell you why it's happening is because of the people that are studying using Rotoviz and uh, ship chasing. Some of these uh, other shows are very wide receiver heavy. And those are the type of people drafting right now. I haven't found much uh, mathematical evidence of why the wide receivers are going like Amon Ross, St. Brown, Jalen Waddle, Chris Olave, Devonta Smith, T Higgins, all good players. DK Metcalf, fantastic players. We like them right in fantasy. Look at their points versus Josh Jacobs points last year. It's like, (laughs) it's like not even close. It's truly not even close. So I'm with you. I'll start with the elite wide receiver and then I'll mix my way into this tier. I've drafted a bunch of Josh Jacobs. I draft them over um, Derek Henry and Mm -hmm. right next to Ramondre Stevens. Like these guys could be absolute game wreckers. And the best part with Jacobs, we just saw it last year. Like we don't have to like kind of like fast forward with Ramondre (laughs) Stevenson or Brees Hall. It's like, 
Josh Jacobs, just do what you did last year, and you're going to yeah. be a, a two-round value. For sure. I, I, and, yeah, the, the situation, the, the lack of change in situation just baffles me. I'm like, the, the change almost benefits Josh Jacob to – I don't know if I'm Josh McDaniels, I probably don't want Jimmy G hucking it downfield as much as Jared Carr did. I, yeah. I, I don't want him throwing the football much in general. He's an accurate passer, 66% better over the past three years, but Josh Jacobs is that offense. He, he, he's, he's that run game. Um, oh, there's another – oh, yeah, the amount of times that I've – you brought up taking that elite wide receiver and going bam, 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 running back right after Hayden. Yeah, the amount of Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson I've taken – Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, the next two rounds. I, yep. I don't know what I don't know what team is stacking up better than that afterwards because yep. you're talking three of the top 25 players in fantasy football, uh, and and you're only through you know 24 picks. So I yep. uh, couldn't couldn't agree more uh, on the value there, Ty. You all you all are talking about like some like top 30 guys. I'm gonna, I'm going to get a little nasty and go outside of the top 30 here. Um, I'm I'm really digging Marquise Brown and and. I'm on the record. The Cardinals, Cameron, you, you said last week, I, I said they're hot garbage. I, I explained Marquise Brown uh, on last week's episode with, with nine shocking projections for fantasy football this year and how I differentiated in my um, value of, of Marquise Brown to you all. I, we, we saw how good he was without DeAndre Hopkins last year, right? First six weeks, he was a wide receiver five overall, averaging 18.3 PPR fantasy points per game. Again, taking half PPR into account, but, but bear with me. 64 targets, I was fourth. Seventh in yards of 485, scored three touchdowns there. He saw eight-plus targets in all but three games in which he was active in last year, obviously missed part of the season with a foot injury. Um, and he's on the, He was already on the field a ton, right? Twelfth in snapshot and route participation. I, look, the Cardinals aren't going to have Kyler. That's going to impact his value. I get it. I think that's being boiled in at his, at his ADP of, you know, wide receiver 32 puts him as one of basically the worst top wide receiver in the NFL. Um, that's a pretty good value. I like Marquise Brown at and, and, and simplest of forms. Um, but because the Cardinals are going to be garbage, they're going to be throwing the ball a ton of they're playing behind in a majority of their games this year. I'm just going to bet Marquise Brown is just going to kind of disgusting volume his way to a top 25 finish. And if I'm just looking for guys to be value at their ADP, Marquise Brown is, is a guy that I'm, I'm banking. I'll just keep it short and sweet. Cause I think it's I, again, like James Conner, I'm going to draft Marquise Brown. I'm not going to watch a Cardinals game all year. I, I don't care to. Um, but if he's the wide receiver one on an offense, when Kyler Murray will eventually return this year, and like Kyler Murray catches a lot more flack than I think he probably deserves credit for. He's, I get all the flaws there, but I'd rather have Kyler Murray than at least 60%, 70% of the other quarterbacks in the NFL. So uh, I'm digging Marquise Brown out of value there. He's a guy where, again, if he's like my fourth wide receiver on a team, that, that's fine by me. I'll sit on the other three until Marquise Brown gets back and gets right. Yeah, he's one of the perfect examples of because so many people are stacking, it's the same teams getting propped up. There's no reason to draft Marquise Brown. There's nobody to stack with until you mm-hmm. get to James Conner. So I think some of these one-off wide receivers might be better with teams that are not very good because I think that stacking is kind of throwing off some of these ADP. And I think that's that's warranted, but I do like Marquise Brown. And by the time the end of the season comes around, Kyler Murray probably is going to be out there. Um, and at that point, I think that there could be a little bit more upside for him. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. Uh, uh, here, I'll ask I'll ask you this. I'll ask the group this. How do we like Kyler Murray at ADP right now? Quarterback, no, I meant to pull that up here right beforehand. Uh, 22. 22 he's at now. Uh, pulse on that. How do we feel? 
I've taken too much Kyler Murray. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I, I have too. I will admit it. Uh, let me check. I, I don't think I've drafted him a single time yet. I'm through 40 drafts. Yeah. The My problem with him is even if he does come back halfway mm-hmm. through the season, he was not very good last year. He was fine with the quarterback <laughs> yeah. 10. And that was with DeAndre Hopkins. Like, I'm worried that even if he does come back, like we'll still be ranking him as like the quarterback 13. And at that point, I would just rather hope that by that time, Matthew Stafford's like just been the quarterback 13 the entire season. So we'll see. Yeah. 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 No, that's he's someone that I take a lot though. If I wait right on quarterback and I have to take a Daniel Jones or Geno Smith, right. And I'm just trying to go for three, four quarterbacks Yeah. Yeah. because at that point I've got really nothing to lose, but there are times where I'll be looking at Kyler and I've, I've, just got a Lamar Jackson or a Joe Burrow and I'm like do I really need to probably not and I'll wait a little bit longer then but it's usually when I've got other quarterbacks to kind of carry the load a little bit yeah that that's about the only time I've I've drafted Tyler I, Kyler goodness excuse me um yeah that yeah not not you Ty you're you're sorry you're not making any of my best ball teams this year um <laughs> Roasted. We'll keep it moving though. We'll, we'll wrap out. <laughs> we'll wrap out. Uh, we'll wrap out the episode here. Uh, we'll switch to uh, hating a position that we haven't even touched on yet. We've talked about uh, primarily running backs, wide receivers here, but uh, there's a quarterback you currently like at ADP as well. I like all the elite quarterbacks. Um, I just posted a video on YouTube about why it is, but I think something's happened in recent uh, for both real life and for fantasy football. Previously, like five, ten years ago, the rushing quarterbacks were like late round picks like Lamar Jackson before Mm -hmm. he was winning the MVP. He was not going where he is. Now the elite rushing quarterbacks are priced up. Like Anthony Richardson hasn't played it down in the NFL. A lot of people didn't even think that Anthony Richardson was a good prospect. He's a quarterback 10 because the rushing projections is now Mm -hmm. banked in. And then on the flip side with the NFL, all the best quarterbacks in the NFL are now dual threat quarterbacks. There's no more Tom Brady's like that era is over Aaron Rodgers era, Peyton Manning era, all of those players, elite fantasy quarterbacks, but they were relatively capped because they didn't run the ball. Now look at Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. All of them, the best fantasy quarterbacks, do both. Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson led the league in passing touchdowns a couple years ago. Uh, Patrick Mahomes runs all like crazy. Josh Allen runs like crazy. So it's hard to find late-round quarterbacks now. And I think a lot of the data previously was – Hey, I can just wait on quarterbacks. I can kind of play the matchups uh, for for redraft. I can find a, a quarterback on waivers. In best ball, I think it's hard to do. All the rushing quarterbacks are priced up. So what I'm doing this year, and it's what I've done last year, is just draft the elite ones. So my favorite value among the elite ones is Justin Fields. He's now going in the fifth round at times. You can definitely get him in the late part of the fourth round. I think that he could end up as an elite fantasy quarterback. And those guys have historically have been like top 15, top 20 overall players in half PPR. So I think there's a room for like three rounds of growth from Justin Fields. And I think that his floor is very safe because last year he was already the 42nd overall player in fantasy points over replacement per game. He's being drafted after that. They added DJ Moore. They added Chase Claypool. They added Robert Tunyon. It's the second year in the system. They've actually added pieces across the offensive line. Justin Fields wasn't even a good passer last year. He was actually a decent passer at Ohio State. So there's room for passing growth from him just by himself, even if he wasn't adding all these weapons. And even if he was just last year's quarterback, there was elite massive games. He had two games of over 40 fantasy points. And if he just repeats that, that's a totally fine pick at the fifth round. I can add on Chase Claypool at the very end of my draft. If you like Cole Komet or Darnell Mooney, I guess you can draft them to tack this on. But even if you kind of got 
uh, struck out with the stacking components. Justin Fields is one of these quarterbacks you don't have to stack with. It's better to mm-hmm. stack with them, but you don't have to do that. If you only drafted Joe Burrow, your team's pretty screwed. But if you only <laughs> drafted Justin Fields, I do think you can get there. So I'm looking at him versus some of these like boom bust running back, some of these wide receivers I just don't see a bunch of potential with. And then Justin Fields just looking at me in the face. This is kind of like – I wouldn't say it's the Jalen Hurts profile from last year because the Eagles – organization is just way better than the bears but if you can do half of that leap you're talking about somebody that can be a record breaker when it comes to kind of this rushing plus uh fantasy ceiling outcomes and we we saw how much how he produced on rushing volume basically alone mm-hmm. last year where he was already proving to be a top five guy now you now now there's room for improvement in the passing game i mean the amount of times we see the people where it's oh look dj moore and stefan diggs and, and tyree kill and all the trades that these teams made like let, let's not Let's not draw causation, you know, correlation from cause to causation there. But at the same time, like there is room for Justin Fields to improve on a multitude of levels uh, in fantasy football. And, and his legs are, are what's going to bring you the elite value in, in fantasy football. Yeah, I, I, I do like Justin Fields at his current ADP. Uh, looking at the time, I want to make sure uh, we, we respect Hayden's time and get him out of here within an hour. So I'm in no rush. Uh, <laughs> he's in uh, he's in he's in no rush all right cameron let's do it then we're, we're gonna dive into another quarterback that you like at their current adp um, yeah not as mobile as a justin fields but can use his legs a little bit but uh, i'm with you i'm really loving this quarterback at this current adp yeah i mean if we got time i got nine more players too so <laughs> dive in um but yeah i didn't realize this i'm just picking the guys who are going one after at their position behind hayden so he had the qb6 i'm going qb7 with justin herbert and I think it's important just to acknowledge where Justin Herbert was last year, right? We don't want to make excuses for play- people, but he played four games in 2022 with both both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen playing over 50% of snaps. That is significant when you, I mean, and it's not like, you know, he had anybody else except for Austin Eckler, really. And then we can't forget, he fractured his rib cartilage in week two. Like, especially as someone who is just tall and lanky as him, like, I mean, that's exposed every time you're throwing the ball. And he threw the ball almost 700 times last year. Um, his 2022 stats, right? He had 4,700 4, yards. So, I mean, he still had a ton of yards. I said he threw for seven, 700, 700 times. But the big thing for me was he was only at 6.8 yards per attempt. Whereas the year before, he was at 7.5 yards per attempt. And we're talking about a guy who, I mean, probably top three arms in the NFL, just from a you know accuracy plus strength standpoint. I mean, he can make throws you know, off his back foot fading away 60 yards down the field and hit a guy on the spot. Like there's not many quarterbacks who can actually do that. And so the fact that he was only throwing the ball 6.8 yards per attempt, you know, it just doesn't fit who he was. I think the other thing too, in 2021, he was averaging 23.3 fantasy points per game, right? We look at Burrow who's going as a QB four right now or QB five right now. Burrow was at 21.7 last year. So he was almost a a full two fantasy points per game ahead of him. And we talk about that rushing upside, right? You don't think of Herbert as a as a rusher. Rookie season, five rushing touchdowns last year, three. And he had over 60 attempts, over 300 yards in each. I mean, that's not crazy, but that does increase that baseline enough where it is something that is a little significant. Whereas last year, obviously with the injury, 54 rush attempts, 147 yards, no touchdowns. If I'm going to bet on a guy at Herbert's size who does run the ball a little, I'm going to say he probably throws in another three touchdowns. Now he brings over Kellen Moore. And over the last four years, when Dak had Kellen Moore, Dak averaged 21.7 or 21.07 fantasy points per game, right? And Dak was dealing with, um, he hurt his thumb, he fractured his ankle during that time. So, like, Dak wasn't even healthy all those times, but he was sixth among all quarterbacks. And when we're talking Dak, 
right? We think, oh, he had one real elite year. And then it was kind of like, you know, we don't think of Dak as an elite quarterback. He's going at what? The QB 12 right now, QB 11. You know, he's not looked at as an elite quarterback, but yet he was sixth in the last four years in fantasy points per game under Kellen Moore, second in yards, eighth in touchdown percentage, and 10th in QBR. I just think right now going that much, I, I like to compare him to Burrow because I think that's who he's most similar to among the elite quarterbacks. And, he, you know, if he's going that much farther behind Burrow, I, w- I gladly wait every single time unless I have a Jamar Chase or T. Higgins to take um, take Herbert there. And I also am a huge, huge believer in Keenan Allen, like probably to the point where it's just going to hurt me so bad this year. And I also love Mike Williams as well. And those are guys that you can easily sack with um, Justin Herbert, right? They're not going first, second round. They're going fourth and fifth round. So I, I think that can that kind of just elevates why I find him to be a value. It feels like the only path is up for Herbert. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Gets his weapon backs. He's gets his weapons back. Excuse me. He's fully healthy. Bring over Kellen Moore, who people can clown him all he wants for play calls in the playoffs, whatever. All I know is that that dude knew how to produce a scoring offense and a high-powered offense in all facets of the game, uh, passing and rushing wise. So, I, he's probably my biggest candidate for a bounce back here this year. I couldn't agree more yep. um, at his ADP. Also, left tackle, one of the best in the league, uh, yeah. out the entire year. Yep. So, like, yep. There's so many. All he has to do is just throw the ball downfield more often. I think part of that was because of yep. the left tackle situation. Also, he had mm-hmm. nobody to throw the ball downfield to yeah, because right. of all the injuries. <laughs> um, and if the second he does that, the touchdown rate's going to go up. The yards per attempt's mm-hmm. going to go up. And they're, we know they're going to throw the ball a ton this year. They kind of have to because of that division. So, yeah, I'm with you. The The Chargers, like I said, were my highest drafted yeah. team. I've drafted yeah. a bunch of Justin Herbert with Mike Williams, Gerald Everett, all mixing Keenan Allen, certainly. And like you said, with comparing him to Joe Burrow, if you're right about Joe Burrow, well, you also still drafted players in the first, third, and mm-hmm. fourth rounds. At least if you're right about the Chargers, you've drafted them in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of even growth uh, at the cost, too. Yeah. yeah, and I, yeah. I, I, Go for oh, it. Sorry. I, yeah. I love Justin Herbert, too, just because like when I think of guys outside of Patrick Mahomes who could have 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns, I think he's at the top of my list, right? I think Burrow's in there too. And, you know, I mean, maybe Josh Allen has a crazy passing year can get in there, but Herbert's that second guy on that list who I think can do that. And that's just upside. You really can't find anywhere else at the quarterback position. I couldn't agree more. Ty, I'll kick it over to you here. Uh, we're going to talk about a wide receiver actually gained some competition in the wide receiver room this year, but uh, you're thinking it might actually be to his benefit at his current ADP. Yeah. I So I'm talking about Christian Kirk and Christian Kirk, it, it, really, this comes down to it just feels like people have just forgotten about Christian Kirk just because of Calvin Ridley now. And this is not a like he's going to later or anything, but just people don't aren't talking enough about what this Jacksonville offense can look like with Trevor Lawrence going into year three after a very successful season with Doug Peterson, yet ETN with uh, Tank Bigsby now in the backfield. Evan Ingram had a career year, right? So there's a lot happening with this Jaguars offense but Christian Kirk still stands out to me for really you know one reason and it's because he's the primary slot wide receiver in this offense that doesn't conflict with any other target or weapon in that offense Calvin Ridley has never been a slot wide receiver and it feels like there's a like that people just kind of assume that Calvin Ridley is a slot wide receiver that might just be me but Calvin Ridley has played over 2,000 snaps out, out wide in less than 400 snaps in the slot. Like, he rarely touches the slot. So you have Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Christian Kirk. 
that all have a role in their specific lineups or with a, within their spots on the offense. Christian Kirk as a slot wide receiver last year was uh, the wide receiver 11 in half PPR, 84 receptions, 130 targets, 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. Let's just kind of figure out how Ridley's volume can look in this offense. Marvin Jones is gone, so that's 81 targets freed up like that. Zay Jones probably isn't going to see 120 targets again this year because of Calvin Ridley, so let's just take 30 from that. We're already sitting at a you know 110 targets. Let's say Christian Kirk sees 10 less targets. Christian Kirk is still at 123, and Ridley's at 120. I think it can go more than that just because of again, the Trevor Lawrence effect and stuff like that. But I just make the point to say that Ridley and Christian Kirk can go, it can coexist and they can succeed together. And one of my favorite stats with Kirk, he was 70th in a dot last year at 9.4, but he was 12th in deep targets. So it's, it's a floor that he can bring, but he has a ceiling in some weeks that can really kind of, you know, win you a whole lot of points. And again, the situation is very, very nice. Again, I, I'm a believer in Trevor Lawrence taking a step in his third year in this offense. I'm not too scared of Kelvin Ridley taking a ton away from him. I think they can each get their own. I just like the value that he's at. And I just wish people talked about him a little bit more. That's all I want. That's all I ask. Welcome to my world last year where I was harping on him as the wide receiver for hey, Everybody all, thought I was a brainless idiot. For we all were, Christian brother. Was good value. Uh, I was not on him, but I it, was it's because people don't think he's very good. Like we were <laughs> right. talking about, and then all of a sudden they score a bunch of fantasy points because the environment's good. I, I'm totally with you with both Ridley and uh, Christian Kirk, along with Trevor Lawrence. I just did my team preview for the Jaguars, and there's just so much room for even yeah. growth last year. It's like so stable. Like Trevor Lawrence doesn't take any stacks. He also scrambles a lot, and that's hard to do. That's offensive line last year was not good. It will not be good this year. But there's still room for improvement. They were, I think, six in EPA per drop back, which is fantastic. That's a very stable stack. But at the same time, they were only 20th in red zone touchdown rate. They were 24th in turnover rate. So they were very efficient on a per-play basis, but then they ran in some bad luck in the highest pressure environments. If they can just get on the right side of variance there, or just Trevor Lawrence take the next step, or just Calvin Ridley versus Marvin Jones replacement, like we're <laughs> seeing a lot of things that can go right with this passing offense. And like you said last year, fourth and wide receiver fantasy usage combined uh, between their all their wide receivers. There is room for both both players to get there. I think uh, even Zay Jones was a top thirty fantasy wide receiver. So that's <laughs> all you have to do: just copy paste the Zay Jones set season and. This coaching staff is super smart. I didn't like what the Cardinals were doing with Christian Kirk when they made him an outside wide receiver. Mm -hmm. It's not a skill set. It's not physical enough. Get him in the slot where he feels more comfortable. Get him against uh, worse corners. And if you watch Trevor Lawrence, watch his eyes. He was checking the ball underneath a lot just because out of necessity to avoid those sacks. But this guy wants to let it rip mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. And Christian Kirk, while he does play the slot, He's a vertical slot as well. You can do the manufacturer stuff with him, but the guy likes to go over the seam. And you watch Trevor Lawrence's eyes. He wants to hit those deep targets all the time. I'm bullish on Calvin Ridley. I'm also bullish on Christian Kirk. This is one of those teams like double sack both of them. Go yeah. Calvin Ridley in round three, round four. Get Christian Kirk right before you draft Trevor Lawrence. And all of a sudden, if you are right, it's like we talked about with the stacking. All of a sudden, your fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks are all correct because you just made one simple stance and that's just betting on the jaguars 
Yeah, that's been my thing all year is I feel like I am way too low on Trevor Lawrence and I'm trying to convince myself to get higher on Trevor Lawrence because I just you know, there's got to be a jump for him after what we saw last year. Yeah, as if the jump from a terrible rookie season, yep. the worst head coach the NFL may have ever seen uh, mm-hmm. his rookie year. No, but like like if Trevor Lawrence was truly drafted to be, you know, again, the best prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck, if he was drafted to be that, he's going to make both of these guys work. Mm. That that's just how it's going to be, and Doug Peterson will make sure that happens. I I, I agree. I do. I I like Kirkhead at wide receiver twenty seven right now. Um, again, I'm just going to dig down the board because you all are taking a lot of values that I like uh, in the first part of uh, the draft. I'm I'm going to keep going down. Um, Jahan Dotson. He he's he's my fantasy football crush this year. Like I I cannot stop just admiring how much I love Jahan Dotson. I'm hundred percent betting on a sophomore leap here. Uh, we know how prevalent those are. I'm not saying he's, you know, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, size sophomore. Like that's not what I'm saying at all, but like he, he possesses that great, great trap, great draft capital. Wow. I didn't think that'd be so hard to get out 16th overall uh, in, in the 2022 draft, right? Taken ahead of Traylon Burks started off last year, hot proved that he was worth that 16th pick. He had 18 fantasy points in two of his first four games. Obviously loses a good chunk of the season due to injury, but then he comes on later in the season. He gets back, he's back into action, you know, weeks 10, 11, 12. Everyone's like, man, he's just not the same. They're not even using him. But like the, the, the Washington was starting to ease him back in. He was a guy where if you stashed him on waivers, you know, week nine, week 10, you were really grateful afterwards because uh, from weeks 13 to 18 to close out the season, wide receiver 15 in fantasy points per game. Uh, he led the team in targets. He led Washington in targets per route run. He led Washington in yards per route run. He led them in air yards. So all great stats I'm looking at here. Um, and that's not to go out and make the proclamation that he's the wide receiver one. Um, but I'm not scared of him as the wide receiver two in this offense either. You look at those same splits between weeks 13 and 18, uh, him versus Terry McLaurin. I, and I'm comparing these two McLaurin, 15.3 yards of reception, Jahan Dotson, 16.4. Fitz profiles, right? That that's kind of expected. And then you look at air yards. Well, McLaurin only had five more, 238 to Dotson's 233. 113 yards after catch for McLaurin, 111 for Dotson. 23.1% target share for Terry McLaurin. Oh, Jahan Dotson, 23.8. Uh, and then you look at their fancy points per game. Uh, Terry McLaurin, only 0.8 fancy points more per game than Jahan Dotson, 15.5 to 14.7. So, I get it. I've already gotten a comment. We posted a video about it. I told him he was the best kept secret and that not a lot of people are talking about him. And people are saying, I don't want to Sam Howell. Are you kidding me? Taylor Heineke, a shell of Carson Wentz. Like, are you kidding? Like, like I, I don't see how the quarterback play gets a whole lot worse. Even if they have to, you know, emergency throw Jacoby Brissett in there. He, he did all right in Cleveland last year. He did all right with Amari Cooper. Um, so I, I just, if I'm drafting Terry McLaurin as a wide receiver 24, I think I'd rather just wait 16 wide receivers and 35 picks later, 30 picks later, excuse me, and just take Jahan Dotson instead at his value if I'm going to take either Washington wide receiver. Because that's not an offense I'm looking to stack to correlate. But if I'm going to pick one of the two, I'll just take the value on Dotson if he's going to be that similar to Terry McLaurin. So I, I'm loving him at his ADP. I cannot stop drafting him. He's he's definitely my fantasy crush this year. <laughs> The wide receivers right after him, I think there's a drop off in like just yes. baseline projection. Like it to me, like I'll mix in Gabe Davis, like right in that kind of range. Sure. Yep. But I want my fourth wide receiver to come from like this tier and Jahan Dotson's often with uh, that person for me. 
when he was a prospect, I thought he was a very good slot wide receiver, played bigger than his size. That's how he was used in Penn State. Mm-hmm. Then last year, they just put him on the outside, and he was still just roasting everybody. And I was not <laughs> sure if that was going to be within his range of outcomes. So he's he's better than what I thought he was going to be because he can win on the outside. His route running's pristine, very flashy out there. And the good news this year is, one, like you said, the quarterback play is either going to be the same as it was or maybe slightly better just because it can't get worse. Uh, but the play calling there's a chance that we see more scheme touches. Eric Bieniemy, if you look at yep. what they were doing with all of the Chiefs wide receivers, a lot of the gadget stuff. Well, last year, it was a blessing and a curse with Jahan Dotson because he was playing on the outside. We didn't get any of that manufactured touch stuff. Well, in college, he can be that guy. And I would guess that they're going to kind of phase Curtis Samuel out of the offense. Yep. Curtis Samuel's getting a bunch of the scheme touches. And let's have Jahan Dotson do some of that stuff as well. And at least there's precedent with Eric Bieniemy kind of doing a bunch of crazy stuff with Sky Moore, Kadarius, Tony, McCool, Hardman, mm-hmm. all of that fun stuff. Plus, none of those guys that I mentioned could win consistently on the outside. Now we know that Jahan Dobson can do that. Everything left from last year was sticky. Ran into some some sweet touchdowns that probably are going to yeah, be right. hard yeah. to hold up. But just watching him play, he looks like a, at least a very good number two, maybe kind of like a Tyler Lockett type of player. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that Tyler Lockett comp. I, I think that's totally within his range of outcomes. And yeah, he, he's just a guy where... I, I just look at the value and I'm like that. I feel like that's Jahan Dotson's floor this year. Maybe his floor, you know, comes out is a little bit lower because you know if the wheels just fall off of Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett and Eric Bieniemy is actually you know not a good offensive coordinator um, like everybody fears that might actually be the case because um, Andy Reid is calling all the plays in Philly. I, I, I digress or in Philly in Kansas City. I digress. Um, I yeah, he's a guy where it's like I, it doesn't hurt at this point, and I mm-hmm. absolutely love the upside he possesses. So. There you have it. Now you know everything. Now you know how to win $3 million in Underdog's Best Ball Mania 4 contest. If you don't win it, um, don't come to us. It's not our fault. Um, mm. But uh, <laughs> you now uh, have a few tips and tricks you can keep in your tool belt uh, to dominate Best Ball Mania drafts. A few of our favorite values in drafts as well. Big thank you to Hayden from, from, for coming on and, and just cooking this entire episode. Great information there from both fantasy football and NFL perspective. Again, Hey, I'll, I'll let you one more time. Where can the people find you? Where can the people find the underdog show? Cause you all are, are, are making such great content over there. It's why we, we love absolutely partnering with you guys. Well, yeah, appreciate it. Uh, jo- Josh and I are at the underdog football show on YouTube. And then you can find me on Twitter at Hayden winks and just throwing a little teaser out there. Uh, we have another best ball type of format coming relatively soon so it's going to be a little bit different than best ball mania 4 but a lot of the principles will be able to apply and it's going to be a lot of fun it's a contest type that i've never seen before ever so uh, make sure you're signed up for underdog fantasy we will continue to innovate you heard it here first that's exciting i was not expecting that and all of a sudden i'm going to go throw too much money into my underdog account in preparation no i'm kidding um (laughs) robo fellas will double your first deposit over on underdog fantasy you'll get our draft guide for free on top of that as well. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Fantasy Football Fellas Podcast. We'll be back later this week with another divisional breakdown. But thanks for tuning in. Uh, We will see you all later this week. And thanks again to Hayden. Really appreciate the time, man. We will see you all later this week. Deuces. Deuces. Deuces.